<laughs> Hello, kitties. It's your old pal, John Kassir, the voice of the Crypt Keeper. And tonight, I'd like to introduce all of you creeps to the Crypt Keeper's podcast, hosted by Spooky Bruce and Horror Ryan. But be careful what you ask for. You may get it. <laughs> All right. Whenever you are ready to get started. Yeah. All right. Hello, boils, ghouls, and non-binary fiends. This is the Crypt Keepers. I'm one of the hosts, Spooky Bruce. I don't know why I'm talking that way. Joining me as always is the man who will do anything for love, but he won't do that. Horror Ryan. You know what? On a Saturday night, I'd do it. Um, it'd be, it's a nice <laughs> it, podcast you have in, here. In the paradise of the dashboard light, you do it? You better believe yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> this is a nice podcast you have here. It'd be yeah. a shame if things broke down. <laughs> so, how, how do we explain what's happening here? Just with the truth, baby. Okay, so, um, when we recorded this episode originally, the program crashed. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Ryan had a minor freak out because he barely touched the microphone. Yep. And by coincidence, the program crashed at the same time and he had an existential crisis. He thought I ruined everything. I was yep. like, no, it, you didn't ruin everything. We can recover it. I found the file, the temporary file and recovered it. But in my arrogance, I heard only my voice and thought it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair, <laughs> um, but it didn't, it didn't save his half of it. Cause we re- re-record two tracks. Right. And uh, so it didn't it didn't save his end of it, and which we didn't find out until I went to edit this episode. Yes. So we still have the back half of it. So we might sound a bit different. A little ass backwards. Yeah, it's it's like a Frankenstein episode. So we're we're just re-recording the first half of it. We're just patching it together. Yeah. And you will know it because you'll hear me go, and we're back. <laughs> that's that's the start of <laughs> that's me. the past us. That's the past us. Yes. So what's been going on? Don't <laughs> well, <laughs> you don't have to try to recreate what happened, but right. I don't know what I did three weeks ago, um, but yeah, things are pretty good. Just yeah. working. Summer sucks. Can we just? Yeah, summer yeah. sucks. Yeah, it's the fucking worst. Yeah, uh, I hate it. I'm sweating. Yeah, I don't like that. Yeah, but I was doing a lot of yard work. Yeah, and uh, my father-in-law last year got me this giant, way too powerful for me weed eater. The, the kind that <laughs> yeah. the professionals use in landscaping. Right. Right. And uh, I have wounds all over my legs now from like just rocks and stick and shit ah. go flying and hit me in the legs. Fuck that. But nice. I love it. And I'm out there laughing. Like <laughs> as I'm like chopping down weeds and everything. I get it like I'm the kind of guy that's like, oh, a weed is just a plant that you don't want in that area. There's not so, there's no such thing as a weed. Like it's a social construct, right? Right. It has every right to be where it is. Yeah. Right. But I get it. I get I I get I get having the power to control nature now. Wow. That <laughs> I understand set, it. You know there's a neighbor that's peeking out their window. <laughs> and they're like, "Well, what's Bruce doing?" You're like, ha, 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 ha. "Well, we have these invasive vines that grow on the fence between my uh, my house and our neighbor's house or yards." Yeah. And we've both just kind of given up on yeah. trying to control these vines, right? Cuz they grow a foot or two in a week. Yikes. Right. Um, and, but I've been out there with that weed. They're just going up and down yes. those vines on my side of the fence, chopping them down. And I'm Take just like, that. <laughs> <laughs> Take that nature. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I noticed that um, we got a stump mm-hmm. in the backyard and 
we discovered that we have mushrooms now. So I, the thing is, if mm-hmm. you mow over a mushroom, you have to pick it up really quickly. Yes. Otherwise, you're going to get more mushrooms. You're going to get more mushrooms. Yeah. So I've gone mushroom hunting a couple times. I fucking hate mushrooms. <laughs> and Natalie does like mushrooms in her yeah. food, but I was like, can you eat these? She's like, no. No, no, no. Definitely are, not. There's, th- there's three kinds of mushrooms. Huh? There's three kinds of mushrooms. Yeah. There's the mushrooms you can eat. Okay. There's the mushrooms that kill you and the mushrooms that make you see God. Oh yeah, <laughs> but if they kill you, what if you see God? Yeah, I guess you'll either way you'll be seeing God. Right? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> if you believe you'll be in that like, sort of I'm thing. full, or right. I, yeah, you God. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. I yeah. hate mushrooms. I don't. You don't like? Yeah. It's um, fungus. I don't want to eat fungus. Eat, eat, eh. I don't know. It's just eh. a texture thing. We eat, we eat other animals. I don't think it's any different. Eh, I guess right? so. Um, I do remember uh, one time I uh, was out to eat with some coworkers. Right. And uh, I ordered a mushroom burger. Okay. And then both of them were like, ooh, that's gross. Mushrooms are gross. And I was like, what are you talking about? Mushrooms are awesome. They've done such great things for us, right? <laughs> to make us see God, yeah. right? Uh, Santa Claus might be based on the mushroom. That's, that's real. I'll tell you about that later on. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so we have this playful argument about the the validity of mushrooms and their okay. food, right? And then I go back. Yeah, I would go back to the office and I've listened to a podcast about Otis Tool and who was who was his friend who killed with him? Uh, Henry uh, Henry um, I can't remember his name uh-huh. now. Uh, they were the basis for the movie Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. That is a fucking movie. Yes, it is. Um, Otis Tool may have killed Adam Walsh. Right, oh. that, that guy. That, that's how we. That's how he's famous, I guess, or infamous, right? And as I'm listening to it, it's talking about this podcast is talking about how they met in a mushroom patch. <laughs> I was like, what? well, <laughs> maybe there is something evil about mushrooms. Maybe there is. So tell us, uh, you out there listening, are you team mushroom or team no mushroom? No mushroom, yeah. Because I am team no mushroom. Yeah. But what I am team of uh-huh. is team Christopher Reed. Oh, yes. So today we are covering What's Cooking, uh, season four, episode six. Yes, I got it right. Uh, based on the story from Haunt of Fear number 12. And this stars the late, great Christopher Reeve. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. With with a stacked cast of others. Oh, I yeah. Say. Uh, um, he just happens to be the most famous and probably the most talented of the group. <laughs> but yes. <laughs> but none of them, all, all of them have had rather successful careers. Oh, yeah. One way or another. For sure. Um, they might not be popular now or even alive now, but they've had successful careers. Oh, yeah, point, for sure. One point I would say this season four may be the most stacked casting yes of any season so yes. far because there's big names like arnold mm-hmm. and tom um, hanks tom hanks but there's one or two stars per season yeah but, but in season four it's like there's two to three stars per episode. every episode yeah i think the next one you will hear us cover we've already talked about it right <laughs> um uh that i think who was all in that do you remember i can look it up yeah. real quick yeah the new arrival it has oh it has david warner Oh yeah, David War- has David Warner, Warner, Twiggy, um, Joe Se- Joan Severance, yeah, Robert Patrick, Robert Patrick, yeah. Wait, can I say the name? Yeah, go ahead. Lothar, vivacious Lothar. <laughs> you, you'll get that. You'll get that reference in a couple weeks. Oh, um, I, I I forgot, and I've been meaning to tell you this. I, I picked up a book called Phases of the Moon. Okay, it is the first known scholarly look at werewolf movies. Okay, so cool. it sent me down this werewolf hole. 
right? right? And like with the howling and stuff. So like if next next week we hear you and Natalie talking about how much you've watched the howling, you're copying off me. Oh, okay. Fair enough. <laughs> You're like, well, we recorded that a month ago. Yeah. That's <laughs> how a can joke. We do that? That's a joke. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're, I like how we're, um, we're, because essentially we've recorded this episode. Yes. And then another episode. Yes. But now we're back to record this to one. To record the opening for this episode. Yes. Yeah. So we're saying jokes in reverse. Yes, we are. Yeah. So a couple was, of things yeah. you hear us talk about, you're yeah. only going to get if you watch the next two episodes. <laughs> right. <laughs> but yes, me and Natalie are uh, in the, the howling kick. Yeah. We're on the howling kick. Um, there's eight of them. Yes, there are. And we, we, but we talk about that at length uh, on the next episode. Oh, we did? Yeah, we did. I don't yeah. know what I'm talking <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, we're on seven. We're almost done. Yeah, but yeah. yeah. Oh boy, you're gonna have problems finding one of them. I think. Yeah, yeah. Hope so we'll get it. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so are you ready to get into it? Let's do it. All right. Directed by Gilbert Adler. Written by. Is it written by Gilbert Gilbert Adler? Directed by Gilbert Adler. Written by Al Katz. Al Katz. Okay. Uh, starring Christopher Reeve, Bess Armstrong, Judd Nelson, Art Lafleur, and Meatloaf. Fred and Irma's restaurant is in danger of closing. It seems Fred's vision of a squid-only menu isn't attracting customers. Their only employee is a drifter named Gatson, or Gaston, or Gastian. Don't know. I don't know. <laughs> because we say it a thousand different ways in the, in the recording we did. Right. Gastian, Gaston, open... <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Gaston offers the couple his secret barbecue recipe to save the business, but Fred rejects it. When Chumley the landlord threatens to evict them, Gaston takes it upon himself to kill Chumley and prepare his special recipe. It proves to be a hit. But as the restaurant makes money, betrayal is soon added to the menu. Dun, dun, dun. dun, dun. <laughs> Love it. So, yeah. First, we have Gilbert Adler as the, uh, director. the, the writer, writer or director. I can't remember. Um, this is his fourth of 11 episodes of Tales from the Crypt. Oh yeah. So I think we talked about him just recently too. Like, uh, it may have been not on a dead man's chest, but me, uh, one or two before that, somewhere right. around there. So right. you've heard, you've, you've heard us talk a lot about him. Oh yeah. Uh, then we have Bess Armstrong as Irma. I'm not familiar with who Bess Armstrong is. No. Um, I like, I recognize her. Right. But I, I know I've seen her and stuff, but I just don't know. Like, right. Um, but she came out of the gate, uh, with her own sitcom that lasted one season. Uh, it's called On Our Own. It was like, can the modern working woman have it all, right? Right. Uh, then she was in things like Jekyll and Hyde Together Again, uh, where I remember her, that's about um, this Dr. Jekyll and Vince's super cocaine that turns him into this animalistic Hyde. Who? <laughs> right? That's happened to me every right. time. Uh, then I, where I remember her from the most is Jaws 3D. She was uh, opposite to Dennis Quaid in that. I think it was Dennis Quaid in that. She, tra- uh, she helped train the dolphins at SeaWorld. Ah. Yeah. Uh, uh, she was in... Um, she was in the skateboard kid, which I remember only because we may have seen that as kids. And then every time we play war or army soldiers, when we were kids, we'd always have code names. Right. And uh, my brother would insist his code name would be the skateboard kid. I mean, that's awesome. Yeah. That's badass. <laughs> like at the time I was like, that's so silly. That's so dumb. But now I'm like, that's kind of cool. Damn right. <laughs> um, and then a bunch of um, uh, shows like the nanny Frazier touched by an angel, uh, Boss Legal Criminal Minds, and a recurring role on uh, the the show Bosch, which is a detective show on Amazon Prime. 
Oh, I've never uh, heard of it. And then she was in this one thing. And I, I only point it out because it's it's really like kind of a mind fuck. Okay. Um, it was, it's called She Cried No or Freshman Fall. Ugh. And it depicts Zach Morris as a frat boy raping DJ from Full House, who's a freshman at this college. Which those are two like right. that's a sentence I should never say. Like <laughs> that would like I don't know what executive put that together. Right, right? but that should have never happened. Yeah, right. Um, I'm not I'm not making fun of the situation. I'm not making fun of that happening. That phenomenon happening. I'm I'm saying that those two actors should not have been put in that situation together because that's weird. Right. Because yeah. <laughs> at the time they were both big stars. They were big stars and they were, they. I know they were trying to probably get away from their stereotype um, sitcom. The stereotype, their wholesome sitcom. You know, yes. In a manner of speaking, Saved by the Bell was a wholesome show, right? Right. Uh, but they're trying to get away from those those roles. But it's still really weird. Yeah. yeah. Especially if you're a fan of those shows. Yeah. And then you watch the movie and you're like, Ugh. Yeah. Um, then we have uh, Jed, Judd Nelson as Gaston, the drifter. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so uh, you you should know him. If you're listening to this show, you should know who Judd Nelson is. The, the Breakfast Club, St. Elmo's Club. Fire, uh, Airheads. Uh, he, he had this really weird um, trend of like TV shows and movies. He was on this thing called Strange Frequency, which was a rock and roll answer to the Twilight Zone yeah. anthology series. Um uh, Airheads, which is a rock and roll oh, movie. Hell yeah. Um, um, and this thing called uh, um, Electric Jesus, where he, it's a, it's a rock and roll Christian movie. Hell so yeah. So he's always being put in like the cool guy and rock and roll stuff. So he's right? an Airheads. He's an Airheads, yeah. But so is Meatloaf. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. Who's also pretty rocking. Yeah. But if he's an Airheads and you take mushrooms and you see God, do you see Lemmy? Yeah, because Lemmy is God. God. Yeah. All right. Uh, <laughs> um, and I'm going to mention uh, two here because uh, they are ju- they're just really funny titles. The day the Earth stopped. <gasps> yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, Bigfoot Wars. <laughs> I'm down with that. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, I'm going to I'm going to say the the title. I'm going to leave a word blank. I'm going to try to get you to guess Let's what the go. next word is. Okay. From straight A's to blank mushrooms <laughs> one more try meatloaf <laughs> from straight a's to triple x <gasps> yeah or xxx that's a sexual reference yes it is um and i've left this for last because i know there's one out there who's listening and is just screaming at us wherever he's listening to us right now he's uh... screaming at us he was hot rod and rodimus prime in the original transformers movie from the 80s Oh, yeah, movie, and I remember yeah. uh, also told you I've never seen yeah, the movie. Yeah, it's just, and he just had a heart attack hearing right. that. Uh, no, it's it's Chris, rad. It's rad. Transformers, they're all right. <laughs> 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 I didn't grow up with it. Yeah, I, you know, yeah. So you, it was a bit like, you might not have been like alive when it first premiered. Uh, I was born in 84. What's that? 84. 84. That's yeah. when the movie came out. So, oh, okay. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So. I was too busy shitting my pants. Yeah. Instead of seeing <laughs> to see that movie in the, the theaters. Movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then we have Meatloaf as the landlord Chumley. His name is a play on words. Yes, it is. <laughs> Which you'll find out when you listen to the second half of this. Um, so he was Eddie in the rock and roll, uh, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Um, he was in the show Monsters, which I just found out is on Tubi. Monsters? Yeah. It was a horror anthology series from like 89, 90. 
I had no idea so many horror anthology yeah. shows were around. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's wild. Um, it's he was meatloaf. In, yeah, it's meat. Uh, he was in Wayne's World. Um, this other anthology mo- uh, series called Dead Man's Gun, which was a western on Showtime, hmm. but it had a different story each week. But it followed the same gun throughout these stories. That's cool. That yeah, that's a really cool concept. Uh, Black Dog, a movie so bad with a script so bad, it was written for Kevin Sorbo and he passed on it. And Patrick Swayze took it. It's I mean, a trucker upgrade, action movie. Isn't it? What's that? That's an upgrade, isn't it? I, yeah, at the, at the time it wasn't. At, that t- at the time when it came out in the early the mid nineties, it was not an upgrade. Really? Yeah, because Patrick Swayze was like on a down trajectory, and uh, Kevin Sorbo was on the way up because that was like the height of the Hercules popularity. Oh, okay, yeah. that's fair. Uh, now it would be a, uh, an upgrade. Oh yeah, because Kevin Sorbo is a piece of shit now. Oh really? Yeah, oh, oh my God! Yeah. All yeah. I know is from Hercules. That's it. Yeah. No. No. Like, uh, he Zena gets on and criticizes him and tells him he's an idiot. Yeah. Yeah. Because he he's, uh, well, let me put it this way: on on January sixth, he was like, "It's happening. The revolution is here." Yeah. And then a few hours later, oh, there's Antifa. Oh. that's the kind of guy he is yeah oh, okay yeah um he was only uh th- but we're talking about meatloaf he was in the outer limits uh blood rain the the movie blood rain based on the video game uh by uh i think that was yui bowl i think that's who directed that uh tenacious d in the pick of destiny oh yeah i think he was jack black's dad in that yes he was yeah. uh masters of horror i'm not sure the episode is called pelts and i don't remember pelts but he's also been on house elementary uh uh, uh, sausage party. He was in that the animated, the adult or the oh, mature yeah, animated movie. That. That's pretty good. Um, and something called Ghost Wars. Don't know what that was, but it was one of his last credits before he passed away last year. R.I.P. Yeah, R.I.P. Then we have Art Lafleur as Officer Phil. Um, you you will not know this guy's name. I don't think many people do know this guy's name because he's just had bit roles and a ton of stuff. You have but seen he had a, him. He had a lot of he had a lot of credits. He was a working actor. He had a successful career in what he did. He was and, a working man's actor. Yes, and what he did was play cops or <laughs> cop like figures who were too stuff. old for this shit. Who were too old for this shit? Yeah, yeah. Um, he just had that look. Um, uh, like he would be. He was on uh, one. One thing I remember him from was like playing an MP on Mash. Right. Oh yeah, uh, I think where most people will remember him from is that he was the first baseman, one of the ghosts in um, Phil of Dreams. Oh, cool. Yeah, uh, but then he was in stuff like uh, he was also in Jekyll and Hyde together again, um, and uh, he was in Van Dam Death Warrant. I call it Van Dam Death Warrant because I had a friend back when we were like middle school or high school that because the poster had Van Dam really big at the top. Right. Right. And then the title death warrant, he thought the title was Van Dam death warrant. And you could not convince <laughs> him otherwise. I mean, that's a good, that is a good that's Van Dam death warrant. I mean, I'll, I'll um, watch it. Uh, so he was in that, uh, uh, he was in war games and he was in two movies. Oh, no, two. He was, he played against the role in the Santa Claus two and three where he was hmm. the tooth fairy. So he had oh, this big, uh, this huh. dude, this big gruff dude who looks like they shaved a bulldog and taught how to walk upright. Right, playing the Tooth Fairy. That's funny. Yeah, that is funny. And then he was in two movies, I like to mention, because you'll get a big kick out of them. Bring me the head of Lance Henriksen, <laughs> <laughs> which has Lance Henriksen in it, of course. Yeah. Where uh, there's some sort of I, I, I'm 
I don't know what the setup for this is. I've never seen it. We'll have to watch it sometime. Um, but the, I think the setup is something like, uh, this, there's a failed actor and he wants to get Lance Henderson's power or something. I don't know. I mean, who doesn't? I, I read the synopsis two weeks ago and I have ADHD. So <laughs> that's as much as I, as I can remember. And then one of his last credits was Dahmer versus Gacy. Ah. Where the government has cloned Dahmer and Gacy and is going to use their DNA to make the ultimate killer, but they get loose and fight Jason versus Freddy style. Yes. <laughs> Gotta it's watch so it. gross I, and exploitative, and I love it. <laughs> I gotta watch it. <laughs> I know we gotta watch it sometime. Then, finally, as Fred, we have Superman himself, Christopher Reeve. <gasps> so this is who I really want to talk about, and you're just, you're just gonna have to bear with me as I talk about. <laughs> this Superman. is your guy. I'm sorry. This is my guy. Uh, there is a lot to talk about here, and, and this is from. I mean, I I always knew that he was Superman. Yeah. I know he had the accident. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. That's all that oh, I did. We're going to find out more now. Well, let's go. All right. So um, he fell in love with an acting at a very, very young age. Uh, you know, I don't, um, I don't remember exactly when it was, but you know, he, he was, he went, he always wanted to be an actor. Right. Right. Uh, and then his parents were like, before you pursue acting full time, we want you to get a degree. That's fair. So he went to Cornell because it was close to home but also far enough from New York city where he wouldn't be traveling. Cause he, that's where he lived was New York city. Yeah. Uh, he wouldn't be traveling to New York all the time to try to work. Right. Right. Um, so he went to Cornell, which like I said, is pretty close. And he, he pursued a theater theater degree there. Right. Oh, yep. Two um, birds, one stone. But yeah. So, um, but he grew up the kind of person and he was like this all of his life that would be good at anything he wanted to do. Right. One of those people just drives you crazy. God right? damn it. And you know, he has, he has, he got, he got everything. He yeah. got the looks, he got the size, the talent, the talent, and just the talent to do anything he wanted. Right. Right. Um, like he spoke, he spoke, he spoke fluent French. He played the piano. He was by the end of his life, by the time of his accident, his accident, he was an accomplished equestrian. Right. Yeah. Because he fell in love with horses when they learn how to ride horses. Uh, he knew how to fly planes and hang gliders. Uh, but of course, he came from a very wealthy background. So that really it helps. It kind of helps. Yeah, it helps. Yeah. When you have the money to do things. Right. And the money to get the training. When, it he, helps des- you. when he decides to go to Cornell. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. It tells you a little bit. <laughs> right. Nothing against it. Nothing, I'm just saying. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, I mean, well, I mean. He got a booster seat. He got a booster. He got a booster seat because like, well, yeah, he, he was wealthy. Right, but you still have to. You, tr- have you have still have to try a little bit. You have to, you still have to have the grades oh, and the work yeah. to get in, for the most part. Um, but he came from this well, very wealthy background. His grandfather was a Supreme Court justice oh, on shit. his mom's side, and his dad's side, he, his his grandfather was the head of Prudential, which is a financial company. Oh yeah, yeah. So they were, um, they were very very well. They off. were not clipping coupons. No, no, they were not at all. Um, but then uh, he was in some sort. Of, some sort of theater production while he's in college. Um, and this agent happened to be there and saw him and got a meeting with him. It was like, Hey, I want to represent you. Mm-hmm. But then he told the, this agent like, Hey, but my, my parents want me to finish my degree first. And he's like, Nope. Yep. Yeah, you're going to finish your degree first. I agree with your parents. But what I want you to do is once a month, come down to New York. Let's talk. I'll, have, I'll introduce you to the directors. We're going to start getting your foot in the door. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah. So networking before networking before you start because taking acting this roles. dude saw like this guy's talented just immediately saw like, the future saw the future. Um, 
Um, yeah, there's a, um, a time, I don't remember what it was for. Um, but, um, I think it was, um, Jimmy Stewart and, um, John Wayne saw him somewhere like, like an award show. Yeah. And John Wayne's like, that's the future. Like we might as well retire now. Damn. Yeah. We're done. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, he was, John Wayne's an asshole though. So fuck. Yeah. 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 Um, (laughs) Anyway, so, um, but then he he started actually working theater and like in the summer months would do like productions around the country. Right. Um, and then he, during one summer, he went to England and France to study theater. And this was a dude who like, this wasn't going to be a job for him. Like this was an art form and I'm going to study this art form. Right. Um, and so when he came back from studying all these actors and like directors and theater work, um, he came home and he was really frustrated with school. He's like, because I want to get out there and do what I'm going to, what I want to do with my life. And right. Cornell isn't fulfilling that, even though he's trying to get this theater, theater degree, it's just not fulfilling what he feels like he needs to do right. to get there. And so, um, his agent, uh, and him, uh, talked to the school and got him, they had him apply to Juilliard. Okay. Right. And he made this arrangement saying, if I get into Juilliard, um, we, uh, Cornell will consider it my senior year at Cornell. Ooh, that yeah, mean. and so um, uh, he out of two thousand editions, there was twenty spots available, and two of them for the advanced program. Mm-hmm. He got one of the two spots nice. for the advanced program. The other person who got into the advanced program was Robin Williams. Hell yeah! So they were roommates. That's awesome. That is very awesome. And the, sometimes they had classes together where they would be the only two students, and oh, so they became like best of friends for the rest of their life. For the I rest didn't of know that. The rest of Christopher Reeve's life. That's yeah. cool. Um, so then. Uh, after he get after he gets out of Juilliard, he his first role on Broadway is uh, with Catherine Hepburn in I a mean, thing called a, a matter good, called Gravity, and they had debut. what's that? That's a great debut. Yes. Oh well, actually, it, his first job wasn't that. His first job was a soap opera called Love of Life, ah. and Love of Life is like, no, you can't be on Broadway right now. And Catherine Hepburn basically called Network and was like, yeah, he is. <laughs> yeah, he is. He's going to do this. Yeah, power play, power play. Yeah, and uh, they had such a good chemistry. There were rumors they were having an affair, oh. and Chris Ferry was like, "Well, she's sixty-seven. I'm twenty, twenty-three. Right. He's like, "I'm really flattered, but no, it's not happening." Right. Um, but they stayed close again the rest of their life. And this is something you hear over and over again. Like people meet him and just fall absolutely in love with him again he gets everything <laughs> he has he to save superman save something for the rest exactly he has saved something for the rest of us dude um uh but then um and katherine hepburn told him like you're gonna be taking care of me in my old age he's like i don't think i'll live that long and she outlived him she did yeah by like oh, a wow. few months yeah Aww. yeah um so then at the age of 24 he was cast as superman 24 years old. He looks he like looks he's in his 30s. 32. Yes, he does. And so far, he is the youngest actor to play Superman and Clark Kent. That's cool. Just by a few months, because Tom Welling played the teenage Superman and Clark Kent in Smallville. Yeah. And, but he was only a few months older than Christopher Reeve was when he got the role. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but um, he was not the studio's first choice. The really? casting director was like, no, this is the guy. This is the guy. Right. And basically had to like finagle and trick his way into getting Christopher Reeve the audition for it. Right. And getting them to consider him for it. Basically like, you know, when they had a stack of actors to consider making sure his, always, his resume was always ah, on top. Yeah. There you go. Um, and the funny thing is he, he did not even get top billing until the third movie. Cause you, well, you had Hackman, Gene yeah. Hackman, one of the biggest stars in Hollywood at the time. Yeah. And Marlon Brando, 
one of the biggest stars in Hollywood at the time. Right. Right. Um, so from this career defining role as Superman, yeah. right. He, he was worried about being typecast and I don't remember who it was. Oh, Hackman told him, he's like, don't worry about being typecast. If you get typecast, that means you did a good job. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you mean you, you, you did exactly what you were supposed to do. I think that's kind of strange that there maybe the whole idea of being typecast has changed with generations. Yeah. Now it's almost like a, uh, it's a compliment. Yeah. But it's, back in the day, it wasn't. It, it's more celebrated now. People will be very happy to be remembered. Like you got people like Mark Hamill. Yes. Who are who are just absolutely thrilled to be to be forever. Robert Downey Jr. will always be Iron Man. Right. Or you had Kevin Conroy, uh, R.I.P. Rip. Who's always playing Batman. Batman. Always going to be Batman, no matter what. And people love him for that role. I will always see him as Batman. Right, exactly. Um uh, but then like like he said he was worried about being typecast and he kind of went the route of um that we see now with like um Elijah Wood or uh the kid who played Harry Potter oh, Daniel Radcliffe. Yeah. Where they had their movie. That that made that, them a star. That made them a star and then they go do whatever they want. Yes. Right. For the rest of their lives, right? I saw uh Guns Akimbo. Yeah. And now I'm like, okay, he's got the Harry Potter money. Yeah. Not, I'm sorry. Um no, that is yeah, Harry. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got the Harry Potter money. Right. He's just doing whatever the fuck he wants. Right. It's like uh, Elijah Wood was like, you know, I got the Lord of the Rings money. I'm gonna do Maniac. I fucking love that yeah, movie. Yeah, it's a good movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great fucking movie. <laughs> Both versions. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, for yeah sure. uh, Natalie is probably going to hear this and be like, "Ugh," she hates, <laughs> hates the because she thinks he's creepy. The, yeah. the the original maniac. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And I will say, it Elijah Wood's version, I love more, and it makes me love the original more. Okay, but that I never thought that I would be able to see a, a, an actor. That I just look at and I'm like, oh, you seem like a really nice, fun guy. Yeah. Like, Get the fuck out of here. You, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So hats um, off to Elijah Wood. But the 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 fears of being typecast were were valid because they tried to put him in action movie roles. Right. Where the first Superman movie is not an action movie. It's more of a drama. It, yeah, because if you I mean, there is action set pieces in it, right? Right. But if you watch it, there's not fights in it. Right. The only time that you see Superman, Superman do any sort of violence, he catches a someone trying to punch him and pushes them. Right. Yeah, that's it. One time. I got to rewatch that movie. Yeah. It, you could not make it today. It, really? It's it's it, it it's just it's a very old movie. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love it. I watch it every Christmas. Mm-hmm. Right. I it doesn't stand up to movies today. Right. The special effects are dated. The storytelling's a bit dated. At the time, it was now, huge. now the cinematography in it is not dated. That is amazing cinematography. Yeah. Especially the Daily Planet scenes, just showing the chaos in the newsroom right. is amazing. Sick. Um, and, but but so he started and going back to that, he he did not look at Superman as an action movie. He's like, I'm playing two roles as a as a challenge as an actor. I have to play Clark Kent and Superman. And I have to play them in ways that you can believe that people would not see Clark Kent as Superman. Right. And you do see that he pulls that off because Clark Kent looks like he's six inches shorter than Superman. Right. When he does, when he switches between them. Um, and the, the, he, he's able to come across as, uh, as bumbling Yes, the, the lovable, lovely, bub, love, uh, the yeah, like you said, the lovable doofus. doofus, a lovable doofus, and the super competent person, right? Um, in, in within the same scene, yeah, yeah. Um, so he started doing like these 
things that he felt would give him like um let's say like, like challenges like, as an actor uh, like layers yeah. yeah uh so he did somewhere in time which is a uh romance time travel movie um that wasn't well received at the time but it um it has a cult following it happened on it, it, there's, it happens at the hotel i think on mackinac island and people make pilgrimages there oh. to see where this was filmed. In fact, I think we know two people who have done that. Really? Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. Um, because it's such a great movie. Oh, um, cool. And that's where he met Jane Seymour. By coincidence, Jane Seymour was on Smallville. Oh. Yeah. And um, uh, they became really, really good friends. And she named one of her kids after him. That's sweet. Yeah. And we get uh, uh, Death Trap, uh, which I think... He, if I remember correctly, he did not want to do, um, oh no, no, that's another movie. I'll get to this in a moment. Uh, so Death Trap, this uh, Monsignor where he plays a conf- conflicted priest, the Bostonians, and then Anna Karenina. And I mentioned this just because that's where he learned his love of horse riding. Oh, uh, okay. And Catherine Hepburn told him that's a bad idea. No shit. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, I don't think you should be making that movie. Damn. Yeah. It was a made for TV movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Then he makes Street Smart, which is a um, of kind of a weird noir movie, but it was a passion project of his. And the only reason he did Superman four, which was horrible. Oh, it is. I don't think it's as bad as Superman three, which is the one where he throws all the nukes into space. That's four. Okay. Yeah, where he fights Nuclear Man. I don't remember that. I just remember yeah. him throwing. Yeah, he throws all the nu- nukes into space. Um, but um, three, I think, is worse because it's not a Superman movie. It's a Richard Pryor movie that happens to have Superman in it. Uh, guest um, starring Superman. Yeah, basically. Um, so he makes Street Smart this um, the weird noir movie where he plays a reporter. Right. Yeah. Uh, Bump in the Night remains the day, which was critically acclaimed. I think his role is critically acclaimed. Right. Um, but I, I don't think it's remembered as being a Christopher Reeve movie. It's more remembered being an Anthony Hopkins movie. I mean, it's Anthony yeah. Hopkins. Speechless. Um, remain. Uh, uh, Village of the Damned, this really fun uh, movie about theater called Noises Off, hmm. right? And I, I, I think it's it, it's about um, just this wacky cast of people trying to make a uh, a, a, a trying to do a play, okay? Right? And it, it, the first part of it is just they're all their conflicts, okay? Right? That's cool. And Christopher Reeve plays the vapid dumb actor, stereotype <laughs> actor in it. It's really fun. That's cool. Um, but. Uh, the second part of it is like they so they have all their conflicts. The second half of the movie is set during an actual pro, like play or the actual production of the movie mm-hmm. or the the play, and all their conflicts have come to a head. They're all fighting, right backstage while it's half, oh. while they're having to do the stuff up front, and they can't talk because it's they're, they're, they're a show at, going on. yeah and so they're all silently fighting and like trying to sabotage each other that's great they're, i think it's hilarious right but also it came out around the right time for me like when i was a bit, maybe high school middle school right right so i remember all my friends loving it oh okay and we tried to watch it again recently with grace who's a bit younger than us and she was like up. what the hell is this <laughs> she didn't have the nostalgia glasses right 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 <laughs> um uh, and then uh, the whole time, though, he's doing um, Broadway at the same time. And a lot of the stuff he's doing is not critically acclaimed. All right. It doesn't do very well. But everything he does in those movies is critically acclaimed. He's doing what he loves. He's doing what he loves. Yeah. And he's be- he's being he's passing up scripts constantly because he just wants to take on these meaty, ro- meaty roles for an actor. Right. Um, and then um, he's in a movie called Above Suspicion. 
Okay. And above suspicion, he plays um, he plays a cop, I believe, who is paralyzed. Ooh. It comes out six days before his accident. <sighs> yeah. So his accident, uh, like I said, he became a, an accomplished equestrian. Yeah. He was um, he wasn't exactly winning awards, but he's competitive. Okay, yeah, um, that, but he's still a huge star still, during the time during of his this accident. time. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he gets thrown from a horse during this competition. I think I think it's supposed to jump a fence or jump a you know obstacle or whatever. Okay, it doesn't want to do it. Um, he gets thrown off and his hands get tangled in the reins. So okay. it flips him. He flips forward. He flips forward. Okay. Right? Um, if he had not been, been uh, tangled up in the reins, he would just flown off. Right. Th- done a Superman fly. Right. Yeah. Landed on his, landed on his like face and chest. Well, and fine. However, he got tangled. It flipped him. He jumped right on his head <sighs> and it internally decapitated him. God damn it, it separated his vertebrae from the rest of his body. So he was paralyzed from the um, the neck down. Yeah. Um, and he's in the hospital, right? And it's a very, it's a very touch and go because most people who have that kind of injury just they're done. Oh, they're yeah. done immediately, like right there because you can't breathe. Right. But fortunately, because they're at this event, there was EMTs nearby oh, okay. who could who got to him within a couple minutes. Right. Yeah. Um. So, um, if he had done it on his own out somewhere, he would just been. He died. So it was like right. a one in a million fluke. One in a million fluke. Damn. Just a one in a million fluke. He even survived. Right. Right. Um, so uh, he talks about he talked about how the worst part for him though was um, being alone at night in the ICU. Oh yeah. You can't move. You can't do anything. Everyone's gone. It's just him. And he's wondering like, do I want to continue this way? Right. And his wife's like, whatever you want to do. Right. I have support. And um, so he is. Uh, he's in the hospital. And this doctor comes in with this terrible Russian accent saying, well, I got to give you a proctology exam. I'm a proctologist. I'm here to give you a rectal exam. Right. Right. And just hamming it up. And it turns out the guy takes off his wig, whatever, takes off his fake nose, whatever. It's Robin Williams in disguise. <laughs> and Christopher Reese said, I laughed at that point. Yeah. The first time I laughed. He's like, I guess I'm going to be okay. He's like, no matter what happens to me, I'm okay in the situation I'm in. So, I mean, Robin Williams may have saved his life. Yeah. And then Robin Williams paid his medical bills. Why? Because he could. And because America, Superman needed someone else to pay his medical bills. (laughs) But his family's wealthy. His His family is wealthy. But this was, I mean, this had to be millions of dollars. Millions and millions of dollars. I think so. Yeah. Oh, to keep him alive and to keep to. Right. Because he had months and months and months of rehabilitation. Yeah. To just just get him able to function at a minimum. Right. Um, like learning how to breathe and learning how to use his wheelchair that he had. Right. Um, and so, yeah. So uh, Superman needed someone else to pay his medical bills. That's some shit. <laughs> yes. It's some shit, America. God <laughs> damn it. <laughs> you're, you're bitter about I'm, it. I'm bitter about this. Yeah. Uh, but um, he continues acting afterwards yeah uh for a short time um he he was in rear window or a tv remake of rear, rear window where he plays um um jimmy stewart jimmy stewart uh, yeah role. jimmy stewart lb um, jeffries lb jeffries it's he played, one of my favorite movies he played it's one of my favorite movies too yeah he plays that role right uh but there is a it, it's not great but oh, it does as good as the original no i mean nothing can touch the original right, right. but there is this 
added sense of tension to it because unlike LB Jeffries, he is completely helpless. Right. He can't do anything. And there's even a scene where at the end, when the villain comes in to confront him, right? Right. The villain cuts his air hose that he wrote that he needed to breathe. Yeah. God damn it. Yeah. It's fucked. That part is actually kind of tense. And it's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, He was actually, and then he was also in Smallville playing uh, this guy named Dr. Swan who uh, knew Superman was going to come to earth. Oh yeah. One of the big plots of it is there was uh, a group of very wealthy people who knew Superman was coming and it, wanted to control him for themselves. Oh, okay. Yeah. And he was part of that group. Oh, he was a villain. He no, huh? no, no. Cause he wanted to do it for good. Oh, okay. Yeah. And it also turns out, uh, the green arrows family, and Lex Luthor's family were also involved in this group. Oh, yeah. okay. So, so when did the accident happen? The accident happened in '96. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And um, so he was in his mid 30s. He was in his 40s, 40s? by this time. Yeah, because okay. he was 20. No, actually, oh god, he might have been in his late, like late 30s. Late by this 30s, time. early yeah, 40s. Because okay. um, I think he was cast as Superman in, when he was 24, and that would have been in like '76 because the movie came out in '78. Oh, okay. Or 77 or, or he was cast in 76 or 77, something like that. So he was, he was, yeah, probably mid thirties, early forties. Cause I think maybe 52 is when he died. Okay. Like the age. Um, but he became an activist for disability causes after he, after he passed, after, no, after he passed away, after he had his accident. Uh, if, if he did, after he passed away, that'd, that'd been, been incredible. That would have been again, like Superman. That would have been super. Yeah, it would have been, um, but even before that, he was always using his celebrity to to promote causes he cared about. Um, like he was a coach in the Special Olympics. Nice, um, that's awesome. He was part of this thing called the Environmental Air Force that they would just fly up planes and look for environmental um, uh, violations and nice. report them. Or he would take up uh, congressmen in his airplane and show them like, hey, look, look what's happening on this right. like big farm or whatever. So, hold on. Yeah. So this guy is Superman. Like yeah. you just talked about most of his life and yeah. how he's amazing and everything that he did. Yeah. And then he had an environmental group that would spot violations it's from the air. He's even the best snitch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Still. What? Wait, 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 wait. It gets better. Uh, he campaigned for Patrick Leahy, who he was a senator from Vermont. I think, he, I think he's still alive, but he's retired now. Mm-hmm. Um, he, Leahy is a huge Batman fan. He's been in almost every Batman movie in the 21st century. Oh, wow. The, I think the only one he wasn't in was the most recent one, The Batman by Matt Reeves. Oh, okay. Um, you will see him. In, he's in The Dark Knight. Um, he's in the party scene when uh, the Joker inv- invades Bruce Wayne's uh, penthouse. Yes. And uh, Patrick Leigh, he's the guy who's like, we're not scared of you. And Joker threatens him, threatens him with a knife and says, you want to know how I got these scars? Uh, That's okay. Patrick Leahy. Yeah. That's cool. Um, and Patrick Leahy's office was decorated and all sorts of Batman stuff. Yeah, That's he's awesome. pretty cool. I, I'm not sure about his politics, but he's a pretty cool dude. I mean, <laughs> like, you know, outside of that. Um, he was part of this thing called the Creative Coalition, which um, helped... Uh, uh, actors become more articulate when they sp- when they talked about social or political issues. Oh, he was okay. the president of that for a while, and the Democrats had asked him to run for Congress mm-hmm. at one point, and he was like, "If I did that, I would have to give up all the power I have in Washington right now." Damn, he's like, "I have more power not being a being a lobbyist, right? And being an activist, yeah." And then, um, sometime in the late '80s, the fascist government of Chile uh, was threatening all these actors with execution. So he flew down there and led a protest march against Damn. the fascist government of Chile, which he, they could have arrested Post him. Post injury? 
What's that? Post no, but this this is the this, this is beforehand. Oh, okay. And you know they could have they could have arrested him. They could have killed him. Killed him. There was a risk. I don't think it was much of a risk because it's Christopher. Reeve. He's Christopher Reeve. It's Superman. He's an American citizen. Right. They don't want to. They don't want that hassle. But there's always that risk. You, you can't trust a fascist government, right? Hey, so there's, well, there's one risk. thing we learned in our history: yeah. <laughs> you can't trust a fascist government, um, or mail, or American healthcare, <laughs> or American healthcare. <laughs> um uh, and then afterwards uh when the fascist dictatorship fell uh, he was awarded the highest award a foreign civilian can get in chile oh cool yeah um by the chilean government and then uh at um uh, yeah it was at 52 uh he died of a heart attack from an adverse reaction to an antibiotic in 2004 Damn. Um, at the time of his death, though, uh, because he had been pursuing alternative treatments, or not alternative treatments, I should say, but um, state-of-the-art experimental treatments. Right. Um, and because he had not given up like doing exercises and stuff, he had uh, regained movement in his fingers and toes. Oh, nice. And he could feel uh, pinpricks and hot and cold throughout his body and then breathe for about an hour and a half on his own. Damn. Yeah. What could have been? What could have been, yeah. yeah. Damn. yeah. I don't know if he'd ever walk again. But he could have been, you know, have I mean, a, a breathing more on your own life. for an hour yeah. is still an hour and a half. Miraculous. Yeah. yeah. You know, have you ever tried to think about breathing? And then he's like, oh, no, I can't breathe. <gasps> yeah. 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 <laughs> but that, yeah, that's a life, man. That is a life. And uh, yeah. So there we are. <laughs> and Bruce loves him. <laughs> I love Christopher Reeve. Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. I, and he plays Fred. He plays Fred. Yes. The owner the of Fred Irma's. Yes. <laughs> In case you forgot. <laughs> but uh, thank you for that. That's uh-huh. super awesome. I learned a lot. Like I said, the, all I, I mean, I guess because I was born in 84, I, all I knew was, because I, I remember my mom being upset when he had the accident. Yeah. I think it was like 12 or 13. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, oh, that that's crazy. Yeah. You know, so I would have been, I would've been eight, 17, 18. So that makes sense. Yeah. And and then I just knew that he was Superman from the VHS tapes yeah. of, the, of yeah. the first Superman movie. Mm-hmm. But um, that's an incredible life. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And I'm sure uh, he's helped so many people. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and he is the best part of this episode. Absolutely. And he goes, you fat son of a yeah, bitch. Fat son of a bitch. Well, we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. But that's all we need to record. That's all we need to, so can we just travel back in time? Yeah, we can travel back in time of, now. Okay, let's yeah. do it. And we're back. <laughs> and we are back. Uh, this, I get, No, no, it's not you. I turned up the volumes because I couldn't hear the audio it was coming out of your headphones. That's why like audio is jacked up way high. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, you're good. So we, uh, Ryan moved his microphone a teeny tiny bit. And at the same time, just by pure coincidence, the program we're, we're using to record crashed and he, he almost died. <laughs> I thought that I ruined the session. <laughs> that was almost an hour long. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, mean, I was, I was like, oh, man, that was really good. You did so well yeah. talking about Chris Reeves' life. I was like, please don't lose it. But apparently, we did. We did not lose it. Oh man, because like I said last week, consummate professionalism at its best, right at its here. Best, These right? two yeah. guys. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, um, "Why do you do that? I'm gonna go get a drink. Can I go use the bathroom." He was like, he asked me for permission to use the bathroom in his own home. <laughs> <laughs> And you think you broke something. <laughs> and, you know, there's nothing broke that we can't recreate here. So 
like our magic. And it's just we get to spend more time together. That's true. Yeah, so. That's absolutely anyway, true. So um, you want to go into the breakdown of the episode. Yeah, Yeah, for let's sure. do it. Uh, that was really good, Christopher. I, I learned a lot today, yeah. to be honest. Uh, I really didn't know much about him. I mean, I know that some backstory for me is that um, I have a family member who's severely disabled, mm-hmm. and I've spent a large part of my uh, childhood, young adulthood, mm-hmm. uh, around um, people with disabilities. Mm-hmm. My mom... Um, at one point was a director of a nonprofit for children with disabilities mm-hmm. uh, to help them with school and always knew that like my mom loved Christopher Reed. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't really understand it at the time. Yeah. But now that you're telling me all the things that he did yeah. for the disabled community. Yeah. It's definitely good guy. Hall of fame. Yeah. Good guy. Hall of fame. Yeah. Right. He was yeah. Superman. Superman on film. Superman in real life. That's right. Let's go. That's right. Let's do it. Once again, this is season four, episode six, What's Cooking, which premiered July 22nd, 1992. The episode opens with the Crypt Keeper in a suit, using, tur- turning a corkscrew off screen. The Crypt Keeper says, next time I book a table at eight, Wolfgang, I expect to be seated at eight. And the man starts to moan. The crew keeper pulls the cork and it's revealed to be a man tied up. The chef, Wolfgang, and crew keeper just corked out his eyeball. Ooh. He pulls the eye and he puts it in a glass, smells it, and says, ah, a good wine. <laughs> you know, it's nice that there are multiple restaurants now in the crypt. Oh, you got One eat. where he works at and one where he eats. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's good to have variety. Yeah. He lays the book on the chef's stomach and he says that this is a story... Uh, that this story is an adventure in fine dying. No. <laughs> the episode, op- the story opens with smooth jazz. Uh, as the story opens of wife Irma chopping up squid while husband Fred goes over their cookbook entitled Squid, Squid, and More Squid. <laughs> and he wants to, quote, expand the menu of their restaurant. Irma walks up behind Fred and holds up a cleaver as he thinks of squid on a stick could work. And Fred looks at her and says, you bury that into my neck, you'll dull the blade. That cleaver is expensive and they don't make it anymore. Yeah. And I just, she's going to hit him in the neck. Yeah. Yeah. Another weird coincidence. Weird. Irma slams down the cleaver on block of wood and said, Squid on a stick is a dumber idea than a restaurant that only serves squid. <laughs> Fred reassures her that they'll be the quote Baskin Robbins of seafood. You got to you got to have more than just squid. Right. I like seafood. I even like squid, but you got to have some more. I've never eaten squid. It's fine. Yeah. It tastes it tastes at least this squid I've had like a saltier ham. Huh. Yeah. That's an interesting way of putting it. Their uh, their one employee Gaston, who's also a drifter or Bastion. Yeah, I wrote Bastion everywhere, <laughs> so I'm trying real hard yeah. not to say that out loud. <laughs> their drifter employee Gast- Gaston concurs with Irma, saying that they need to diversify their menu and suggest a barbecue recipe that he has. Fred replies, "I pay you to clean." Not very nice, Mr. Reeve. Yeah, and he's also like, you're just a drifter. What do you know about cooking? Yeah. And barbecue is commoner food. (laughs) Fred says, any idiot can do barbecue. uh, 
See, Gaston says, <laughs> not my barbecue. The door opens and it's Officer Phil complaining about all the muggers and killers and that he's too old for this shit. He gets his coffee, but he turns down his usual squid sandwich. <laughs> I don't have the stomach for it today. Yeah. He's like, I don't have a stomach for your, my usual squid sandwich. <laughs> that night, Irma drops off a plate of squid across the street to Gaston at the halfway house and apologizes for Fred's rudeness. Gaston wonders why she's with Fred and tells her to leave Fred for him. She does a little tee-hee and laughs and respectfully declines. Yeah, a guy with a failing business or a drifter. Uh, it's a hard decision Her options there. are open. Yeah. <laughs> she also declines a walk home as she'll be safe because she shows her gun that's in her purse. She leaves and Gaston uh, hands the plate of squid over to a fat guy behind him who isn't impressed. <laughs> I love the these little are, These are choosing beggars, aren't they? Right. I just love that the fat guy's like, he's like, oh, cool, plate. Eh. Uh-huh. He just makes that face where he's like, eh, I don't know. Uh, the next day at the restaurant, by the way, the sign is busted, only lighting up the letters of Fred and Irma's. The only <laughs> letters that are lit up are E N E M A S. Enemas. Enemas. Fred is chopping a small amount of... Okay, I got a beef with this scene. Yeah. So, Irma... That's not the next day. That's that night. So, Irma went home. Mm -hmm. Gaston is at the halfway house across the street. Uh Fred is chopping a small amount of veggies in the restaurant's dining tables. Yeah. There's a fucking kitchen right behind him. Yes, yeah. That annoyed the shit out of me. (laughs) Like, he's chopping up, like, two carrots... And two sticks of I think, celery. I think this may be indicative of why their business is failing. It annoyed me. I was like, dude, no sense whatsoever. If only you were near a room that was built for cooking. Right. <laughs> Fucking idiot. He deserves all this shit. <laughs> so as he's chopping his two Wait. fucking ch- carrots. I, okay, go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, Landlord Chumley walks in demanding back rent for the restaurant. Yeah. Fred asks for more time and even offers him food. Chumley says, the only thing I want from you is my money. (laughs) Chumley says that he'll be back tomorrow. He came tearing into that place like a bat out of hell. Ooh, (laughs) nice meatloaf reference. Hey, I wish they had meatloaf on the menu. Yeah. I think at one point they they say, actually, there's a sign that says squid meatloaf. Yeah. That's gross. Chumley says that he will be back tomorrow with an eviction notice and new locks. And my favorite meatloaf line of the episode, he says, by the way, you're one lousy cook. Oh, that's mean. He laughs and starts to leave, ha- uh, having wiped sweat from his brow with his hanky. Fred says, and this is great. This this is Christopher Reeve. Like he's, He stands up and goes, you fat son of a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> and runs towards him, but accidentally slices his hand with the knife that he was cutting. Could you imagine six foot five, 200 pounds, something Christopher Reeve just charging six at you? Six five? Yes. Shit. <laughs> yeah, but walking up to fucking meatloaf. Uh, yeah. Who, a tower of power. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I, honestly, a fight between the two, I'm taking meatloaf. Oh, yeah. Um. Chumley. Oh, one of the things I didn't mention when when he became Superman, he was very thin for his frame. He was only only like 185 pounds, right? And so he had to gain weight. Mm-hmm. He trained with David Prowse, Darth Vader. 
the oh. guy in the Darth Vader suit. Yeah, that's cool. So Darth Vader trains Superman. Weird. Yeah, Hollywood is a weird place. <laughs> Chumley freaks out, saying that Fred has gone crazy and he's going to call the cops. And he starts to run away. Fred is apologetic and asks for more understanding. At the same time, Gaston from the halfway house across the street witnesses the confrontation. Meatloaf might be understanding. Chumley might be understanding, but he won't do that. Oh, oh. <laughs> you're on a roll today. Fred arrives home and is surprised that Irma is in a good mood and even has perfume on. When he asked about it, she says, I was walking home and felt sexy. Uh, so that's gross. Yeah, she she got gassed up by Judd Nelson. Yeah, by Gaston. Yeah. She got Gastoned up. Gaston. Gaston. up. Damn it. I can't let it go. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just, yeah. She goes, when, when, when he makes the va- advance at her, she's yeah. like, ha, 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 ha. Yeah. No. And then she puts perfume on when she gets home. Mm-hmm. It's real weird. She's going to pretend. Yeah. Later on, yeah. Fred goes on to explain that uh, of the Chumley situation that happened while she was gone and suggests Irma use what's left of her credit card to buy a bunch of pork for the restaurant. And Irma tells him flat up, flat up to shut up. Yeah. Yeah. And she says, you should try to keep us off the street. Not more in debt. We know what that, but then again, that might be keeping them off the street if they start serving something else. That's true. But I mean, his entire restaurant is based on her credit. Yeah. So that's shitty. Yeah. Fred says, I don't know how to quit. If you leave me, I'd understand. Irma says, you're not getting rid of me that easy. Besides, you owe me a shitload of money. (laughs) (laughs) The next day, Gaston is wiping tables as Fred and Irma arrive. And Fred says, there's no need to do that because that's the day they're getting evicted. Gaston says, oh, no, that's (laughs) terrible, Chris. Officer, (laughs) (laughs) he'll know, he'll get it. Yeah. Officer Phil arrives uh, for some coffee and food, but Irma says that they may only have a few eggs in the back. What was he, what was he chopping up the night before then? Exactly. I don't know. She's like, well, we're going to get evicted. We may have some eggs. And, and officer Phil's like, okay, that sounds good. But why would they have eggs? I guess they need eggs for other ingredients. Squid and eggs. Squid. Uh, yeah. Squid omelet. <laughs> squid omelet. Yeah. Squid meatloaf. The eggs on meatloaf. I've never actually made scratch meatloaf. Yeah. Huh. All right. Cool. <laughs> uh, when she checks, there's a pile of wrapped steaks as well. Everyone is shocked, and Gaston explains that he took the initiative to speak to a supplier, and he got a great deal to show off his barbecue idea. Gaston says to Phil, I hope you like it. It's a family recipe. As Irma is cooking the steak, Phil goes on to explain that landlord Chumley's car was found with blood all over it, but he's missing. Two more customers walk in and say that they can smell what is cooking and it's great and they'll have some. Fred sees that Gaston is wiping sweat from his brow using Chumley's handkerchief. (laughs) Fred takes Bastion in the back to have a confrontation. Uh, Gaston denies it, saying, I do you a favor and you call me a liar? In the front, Phil loves his steak and more customers arrive wanting the same. Irma asks for more steak, and Gaston says he'll, he will go get some from the freezer and ask Fred to hold the door for him. <laughs> <laughs> when, 
When they get, go to the freezer, Fred is shocked to find Chumley's dead, naked, and hanging body off of a hook in the freezer. Gaston starts chopping away at the body it's, to get more steak. It's super gory. It's super gory. Yeah, it's it's my, fucking one of the awesome. most gory things that they we've seen on the show so far, I think. I love how Judd Nelson doesn't sell it. He's no. like, hey, man, could you open the door for me so I can get some more steaks? Yeah. And then, like, Fred does. And then he's it, immediately like, ugh. Yeah, it, it's funny because it, it, it's the closest he comes to uh, Christopher Reeve. It's the closest he comes to overacting in the episode. His reaction to yeah, it. Yeah, it's very, oh. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's very, Fred says, you killed Chumley. Gashin says, yeah, I did. Keep the door open, will you? <laughs> Fred is shocked, and Gaston tells him to get a grip, and it's a dog-eat-dog world. Gaston delivers the steaks to Irma, who tries some herself, and she loves it. Fred looks into the diner, and it is full of people loving the steaks. After closing, Fred says that they made, up, they made $1,500 in that one day. Irma says Gaston is a genius. Fred stops Irma from going to get steaks for tomorrow and says, no, honey, I'll go get them myself. Once in the freezer, Fred stares at the mostly chopped up corpse of Chumley. At this point, it's basically a head and half a torso. Yeah. Basically. He's met by Bastion who, quote, needs to talk. Fred says that he's going to go directly to the cops. Gaston says... You're going to tell them that I killed your landlord because you owed him money. I witnessed your argument and it, and he was killed with your knife. Plus your wife cooked him. You're going to keep your mouth shut. Aren't you partner? Gaston wants a 50 50 split of the profits. Just then Irma says that she has a surprise and Fred quickly closes the freezer. Her surprise is wine to celebrate that she's held on to a special occasion. But Fred rejects her surprise and also to go get more ice for the wine and says, hey, honey, let's go out elsewhere to celebrate. <laughs> he doesn't even want to eat in his own restaurant. Would you? <laughs> Later, and at this point, we have a time jump. Yeah. Uh, we don't know how long, but essentially the restaurant is now called Gaston, Fred, and Irma's. And customers are lined up around the block. Business is a booming. Fred is cooking as Irma is hyped that a food critic for the Daily Bugle, this is in the MCU, yeah, yeah. wants seconds. Fred is uh, still depressed about the whole thing while Irma and Gaston says that they're going to be rich. This, hap this uh, goes on until Fred actually tries to meet himself and then gets super hyped yeah. that they're going to get rich. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Officer Phil arrives and wants a steak and has an update on the landlord disappearance, saying that an alloy found on the scene is from a brand of knives that aren't made anymore, if you remember earlier. Yeah. The, um, the what do they call it? The chopping... Um, the butcher knife. Butcher knife. Yeah. They said that they're going to hit up the history of the sales of this of this particular brand, and they should find the killer soon. Gaston walks by Fred, who is shook. That night, Irma is counting today's earnings, which, by the way, she says is $7,857. Oh, Pretty good. Not bad. She tells Gaston that they're going to the back. She's going to go to the back to tell Fred who's working. When 
when she leaves, Gaston steals the gun from her purse. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Uh, that's pretty sensual. <laughs> just <laughs> dun, in my ears. It's I just a heard sexy thriller. Oh. Dun, dun, dun. Uh-huh. <laughs> Nothing sexy about this. No, there is not. <laughs> Irma tells... Nothing sexy about what I did either, so... <laughs> oh, no, that was pretty good. <laughs> Irma tells Fred about the news of their earnings, and he is still upset. And in the best line of the episode, Irma says, what's eating you? Ah. And Fred says, don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> Irma does not understand his frustrations and leaves to go home. Afterwards, Gaston enters uh, and then tells Fred that, hey, you're overreacting. And maybe Phil should, quote, be on the menu. Oh. Fred is appalled and says, he's a police officer. Jesus. <laughs> and Gaston offers to clean up the restaurant. And Fred says, no, I need to clean up alone so I can think. Gaston says, well, suit yourself. When Irma arrives at their apart at her and Fred's apartment, Gaston arrives and says, "We need to talk." He says that he's worried about Fred and tells Irma that Fred has been killing people, and the secret recipe was his idea. It's people. <sighs> he says that's why that he's out so late every night, and Gaston says that he's scared and Fred could snap at any moment. He thinks that Fred is going to kill himself because he saw him steal Irma's gun from her purse. <gasps> you slash son of a oh, bitch. Oh, man. You think he's done this before? Yeah. 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 He's definitely killed people and ate them before, but oh. I'm saying like this situation, he's probably been in a similar oh, yeah. situation yeah. before. Yeah. Irma checks her purse and the gun is missing. Listen, if you got a purse and you don't know that your gun and, is missing. Yes. Yeah. From just picking it up. Yeah. Yeah. That's weird. Yeah. She starts to freak, and Gaston kisses her on the cheek and tells her to go get Officer Phil while he goes to the restaurant to stop her maniac husband. <sighs> At the restaurant, Gaston has a gun and is has the gun and is looking for Fred. Fred says, "I'm in the back." <laughs> Fred has an iron skillet, and he swings but misses Gaston, and a struggle takes place going into the kitchen. Gaston overpowers Fred and is about to kill him when Irma arrives. Gaston explains that he will set up this this whole thing as a murder-suicide of cannibal cooks. Irma picks up a cleaver and Gaston shoots, but the clip is empty. Oh, no. Fred overpowers Gaston as Irma explains, there's no way Fred would steal the gun for a suicide (laughs) because he knows it's never loaded. And Fred says, yeah, that's right. I wouldn't let her. <laughs> so but on his demands, your wife has a gun in her purse yeah, that's it's not loaded. safer that way. Just, it's more like he's telling her what to do. Yeah. But that, that, it is yeah. what it is. Just as she's about to split his wig, Officer Phil arrives and Gaston says, they're trying to kill me. Gaston demands that they get arrested. Officer Phil says, I could do that. But I have a taste for a certain steak. And this would solve my early retirement problem. And maybe give me a little something to do. What does Farley's flame broiled sound on the menu? (laughs) Fred and Irma agree that it's a great idea. They place Gaston's face on the grill and he screams. The camera pans away from the restaurant 
and the sign that says Gaston, Fred, and Irma's, the Gaston letters, shuts off as we fade to black. The end. The Crypt Keeper says, it's too late for Gaston to save face. (laughs) As he has a beer tap inside the chef's skull. And he says, talk about a flesh in the pan. (laughs) Get it? Gaston's face? Yeah. Yeah, we get it. We get it. (laughs) He pulls the lever and pink goop pours out. That's it. That's, that's it. all I wrote. That's, 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 that's the end of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> and I would say, I will say, this is one, if not top S tier Crypt Keeper sequences. Yes. Because you have, uh, for like his animatronics just look yeah. so good. Yeah. Like, I don't know what it is, but this is, you watch it and you see his eyes and his hands and mm-hmm. he, he does the cork thing in the opening segment yeah. with the eyeball. Yeah. He smells. Yeah. Like he smells yeah. the glass like it's a wine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he does this little beer tap with the, the brain matter. The overly large hands for his body. Yes. It's just, it, this is peak Crypt Keeper. Yes, it is. For yeah. sure. Um, that's the story. That's, that's the, the story. Yeah. It's S tier. Absolute awesome story. It's Love it so much. When you think of Tales from the Crypt, you think of this episode. And, you know, the funny thing is, it should be absolutely campy and goofy it's not it's not it's not it's played straight and i think it's 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 played straight because of christopher reeve playing fred straight the entire time yeah i mean this essentially is an all-star cast like if you you might not know all their names but if you see their faces you would know oh yeah that christopher reeve art lafleur meatloaf judd nelson all of those are very successful actors yeah oh yeah yeah so and i think everyone plays their roles perfectly Yeah. yeah Yeah, like you said, you might not know their names, but you're going to recognize these people. Yeah, from, if you Google yeah. Art Lafleur, you would you know you know, who know he is. exactly. You're going to yeah recognize it, and, and Bess Armstrong too. You're going to recognize who she is because she's been in tons of stuff for 40 years now. Th- that's the one person I didn't know. Yeah, but I couldn't I, ping. But I didn't know her name, but I was like, I've seen her in stuff before. Right. Yeah, right. Um, I think everyone plays their roles perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't a big fan of Irma because like Gaston makes a pass at her mm-hmm. and she doesn't reprimand you're, him. You're, you're not a fan of the character. You're fine with the performance. Oh no, no, yeah, no. The yeah, performance yeah, yeah. is good. Oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it's really good. On the grand scale of, of the bad things people do in this episode. That's the least that's of them. The least. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. That's yeah. true. I mean, the best actor was clearly the fat guy who didn't want the squid. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, cause that's the, that I believed his face. Yes. When he was like, Ugh. I need it. A homeless guy at a halfway house yeah. won't eat yeah. <laughs> yeah. the squid meal. He made me believe that it was not edible. That's or right. Under unappetizing. Right. Yeah. I, I highly suggest anyone who's interested to check this episode out. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. This is definitely. I think at the end of this, we'll do a top ten, and this will be. It'll, it'll be. You'll see it again. You'll, yeah. Oh for yeah. For sure. Um, I will say that you won't see again. Is this fucking comic? <laughs> the comic. <laughs> Because the, they polished such a turd. I don't. Okay, so this is where we disagree. I don't think it's bad. I'm not. I gonna, think. I, I think Jack. It's Jack Ketchum, right? Not Jack Ketchum. Jesus Christ. Jack Davis. Jack Davis. And, Jack uh, Ketchum is a horror writer. Um, no, it's, it's Gaines and Feldstein. Yeah, the artwork is phenomenal. Oh, it is. The artwork is absolutely phenomenal. It's that weird, almost caricature-like style of Jack Davis, but the gore. Jack is Davis so is well good done. And, and, and I'd say like Marie Severin is a part of that. Oh yeah. Because she hides it. A lot of it in shadow and steam and whatever. And yep. 
although I don't think, uh, I think it would have been fine by itself. Right. The way she colors it and hides things in shadow right. makes it a lot more creepy. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. if you just had no shadows and no thick lines around darkness, like, and it, it would just look kind of cool. It, but this ad- the whole atmosphere. It adds a hint or a suggestion a suggestion of gore that you are not allowed, you are not allowed from the sensors of the time to see. Oh yeah. 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 But I I don't want to say well, I say polish the turd. Okay, so this comic is probably the most radically different from an that's, episode that's really my so f- that we have covered so far. There is a restaurant. There are two people running the restaurant. There is a drifter. That's it. With a secret recipe, and that's it. Mm-hmm. It and the secret the secret recipe is not even cannibalism. It's just barbecue. It's just that's chicken. it. It's, it's just chicken. It's just, yeah, that's it. It's so, just chicken. Like the cannibal, the the cannibalization, the the cop. Yeah, the, there are two cops, but they're, they're not like part of the story. They're just side they just show yeah. up. They're the, they're the ones who just discover the bodies. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. But, um. It. it we talked about how in previous episodes where the original story gets a little injection of like some sleaze. Yeah. When it comes to the, the episode. Yeah. I think this is the other way around. This is a bit more sleazier. I don't know if it's a little sleazier, but it's well, definitely the episode's darker. Yes. But oh, I don't know. Adds, this might be darker too, because there is a higher body count potentially but cannibalism yes there's no cannibalism but there is they talk about some gross stuff toward the end or in that final panel they and the i okay when we get to it we'll talk about let me i know what we haven't actually haven't given the synopsis for the episode right or for the issue this is this is what's cooking from haunt of fear number 12 which was uh as we said uh writing about bill gaines now feldstein with art by jack davis jack davis yeah jack davis we said and color by marie severin Charlie and Herman own a failing roadside restaurant. One day, a drifter named Eric appears with an offer to turn around the business for half the profits. His plan pays off. Soon, the restaurant is the most popular barbecue chicken place around. It's so popular that they expand and build a whole new restaurant to accommodate all the customers. But Charlie and Herman get greedy, killing Eric for his share of the profits. However, Eric is cooking up a plan of his own. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, <laughs> so <laughs> this is gonna be quick. This is gonna be quick. Yeah. It's not even the main story. It's of not. That comic. It's not. What was the other comic in that issue? Um, let me look it up here real quick. On the dead man's chest. Oh yeah, yeah. It was the other the story? The tattoo in this one. Yeah, story. Yeah, 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 yeah. That we just covered. We just covered. Like, uh, well, for us, it was like two months ago. Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, so once again, this is what's cooking from Haunts of Fear number twelve, which was printed April nineteen fifty two. A shabby-dressed man enters an eating place that has no customers. The two proprietors tell him to go away, and they don't have handouts. The man suggests that they are in need of a handout themselves, as their place seems to be a failure. He goes on to say that in the three weeks since they opened the restaurant, they've had 62 customers. And they... There were 22,000 cars that had passed by in the same time span, and the dudes are shocked. Even one of them says, you've been outside just counting yeah. the cars that have passed yeah. by and how many yeah. have stopped? And he goes, yes, I did. So this <laughs> drifter just has nothing to do. Yeah. 
The tattered dressed man offers his secret to their success and says that he will work for free until they can make a profit, except for meals and to be able to sleep in the back of the restaurant. Once they make money, he wants a 50-50 split. 50-50. By the way, without knowing his name, they agree. Yeah, yeah. And the man introduces himself as Eric Edwards. The larger owner is named Herman, and the thin one is named Charlie. Eric says that they'll serve nothing but chicken. Over time, Eric transforms the place to be called the chicken coop. And they have an outdoor Greer. 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 <laughs> an outdoor Pam Greer. <laughs> that would make me stop. Yeah, that would make me stop too. Wow. Uh, um, it's called the, when he renovates the place, it's called the chicken coop, and they have an outdoor grill. So passersby will see that they're cooking chicken. The plan works and business is booming. They sell fried chicken, and over time, Eric says that he wants to add another location, the chicken coop, too. With the new place, they can deep fry so 50 chickens at one time. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah. When, it's, when it opens, it's an immediate success. The two original owners are hyped that they're making money, but they're upset that Eric gets half instead of one-third of the profits. Charlie suggests that they wouldn't have to split with Eric if he died. Oh, can we rewind for a second? Yeah. All right. So when he talks about we can cook up to like 50 chicken at one time or however many was. Yeah. There when he, he says at first, like they have, they build this new big grill. Yes. Or rotisserie or whatever. Yeah. And when the fat drips off of that, they'll collect the fat and use that for the deep fryer. Yeah. That comes up later on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, I don't. I don't appreciate the southern bias they have in this issue. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? I don't. <laughs> so there's one point. There's a frame where, where they're they're showing all the customers, and uh, this person says, mm, "Good. The us the is better than ya my myoc. It. I, I don't." <laughs> They're trying to say better than my mom used to make it. This is better than they make it way back home in Georgia, but Georgia is Georgia, J O J A, and it's like it's all misspelled, <laughs> and they're trying to do like a southern accent. So they're making fun of southern, yeah, for sure. Charlie suggests murdering Eric, and Norman agrees. That night, Eric is awakened in his home by Herman and Charlie. They tie him up and set his house on fire. Yeah. While he's awake. Oh, yeah. yeah. He literally is just like sitting he's in just his bed, in his bed, bed yeah. as flames are engulfing the house. Charlie and Herman leave as the house burns away. When they leave, a, a, the charred and still moving corpse of Eric rises out of the fire yelling and screeching yeah it's badass it is awesome it's sick he's like yeah yeah kind of thing but oh and there's also some fat shaming in this one too well <laughs> like i love this can i read it yeah can i read the text here a blackened and charred figure crawls painfully from the flaming house howling like a dog that has just been struck by a car the odor of burned flesh fills the night as the scorched figure drags itself along, its blood-curling screams of agony echoing into the darkness. Sick. Yeah. It's so good. It's so good. It's just two panels, and it just it's so it's so invocative. Yeah. That's an entire scene oh, of a yeah. movie and just those two it, it panels. It makes this story. Yeah. To me. But later at the chicken coop, 
Herman and Charlie are celebrating, but they're interrupted. And off panel, Charlie says, <laughs> it can't be to Eric, who's off page. I love the fact that it show the, the the little frame that shows them. They're holding like little martini glasses. Yeah. They're, they're, they're trying to toast and they get interrupted. Yeah. The next day, the police officers are investigating Eric's home fire and go to the chicken cube. 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 <laughs> they go. I can't talk today. They go to the chicken coop to discover Eric's charred remains at the front of the building. As they look on further, they find Herman and Charlie's charred bodies in vats of oil. Not exactly. Well, the fat. Okay, so so um, it says, can I read it again? Yeah. Herman Ditter's sizzling body hangs from the topmost spit before the now glowing embers. The fat, rendered from his once obese body, bubbles and gurgles in the immense cauldron. Bobbing in the boiling grease is the brown seared remains of charlie marson so they tell you in the story that they're going to cook something the cook on the rotisserie on the spit and they have to wait for the boiling fat right and then they're going to take the the fat that drips off of it and put it in the fryer yeah fry things so charlie had to sit there and watch herman cook and then Eric take that and take put it in the Charlie's vat. Fat yeah, for Herman to be fried in. Then for Charlie to be fried in. Yeah, it's messed up. Oh. <laughs> and the cop says, in my favorite line, they've been Southern fried. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the end. The end. Yay. <laughs> Yay. See, this one isn't so bad. See, it's 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 better than I thought it initially. Yeah. But that was I, I read it immediately after ending the episode. Yeah. In which I just it's cool on its own, but like the story that they came up with for the TV series it's is so, so wildly different. Yeah, I think it's actually I I, I don't think there's anything wrong with the story. Then the comic, I enjoyed it, but I like the quote unquote adaptation a lot better. Oh yeah, for sure. I would give the episode an S. I'd give yeah. the story probably a B plus. But at the same time, we missed out on the incredible scene of Eric coming out of the house burning. Right. Yeah. It, it was sick. Yeah. It was so good. It was amazing. That, yeah. That's that's, that's what's it. cooking. That's what's cooking. You were that, wondering that's what was what cooking. Cooked. That well, that's it. That's it. It's Herman and Charlie <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and Gaston and Bastion and 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 Meatloaf. Hey, hey Chumley, yeah. All right. Do you know what we have for next time? We do, I don't. It's uh, season four, episode seven, the new arrival. That is. You know where it's from? I don't. Haunt of Fear number twenty five. Ooh, yeah. a couple years uh, past the yeah. this episode we just covered. Yeah, almost exactly two. Yeah. Actually, ooh, it might be even further because I don't think they came out monthly. I think they came out every other month. Oh, yeah, oh, okay. so it could have been a while. Yeah, because I mean, the this story was 1952, and they stopped in 55. Uh, let's see, I think. Haunt of Fear number 25. I'm gonna say 1954. That's my guess. I'm gonna just see if I'm right. Uh, let's see here, the Grand Comics database. It does not say June. May and June, 1954. Got it. There you go. Swish, two points. It's good. (laughs) Uh, We have social media. We do have social media. Ryan, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter, at Horror Ryan. You can find me at Mr. Spooky Bruce on Twitter. 
Yes, Twitter. <laughs> uh, you can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Cryptkeepers Pod. There is also an email address. What is it, Ryan? Cryptkeepers Show at, at the, the gmail. Gmail. Com. <laughs> If you like what you heard, leave a rating and review on the podcast app of your choice and share it with a friend. We want to thank everyone so much for listening. And until next time. Man, it smells good. What's cooking? <laughs> <laughs>